This morning's passage comes to us from Genesis, a story about Abraham and Sarah, one we probably are familiar with, hopefully not so familiar that we do not find something unexpected in this text. For in Genesis, as in all stories, we are dealing with a God of the unexpected. So unexpected, in fact, that last night when I went to bed, I thought I had this sermon perfectly composed, only to wake up at four o'clock this morning and change course in the middle of it all. I hope it will end up being not a Father's Day fiasco sermon that mirrors the Mother's Day massacre some 12 years ago. Hear now the text as it is given to us in the 15th chapter of Genesis, verses 1 through 15. I'm reading from a new translation called The Message. God appeared to Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent. It was the hottest part of the day. And he looked up and saw three men standing. He got up and ran from his tent to greet them and bowed before them. He said, Master, if it pleases you, stop for a while with your servant. I'll get some water so you can wash your feet and rest under this tree. I'll get some food to refresh you on your way since your travels have brought you across my path. They said, Certainly, go ahead. Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. He said, hurry, hurry, get three cups of our best flour, knead it, and make bread. Then Abraham ran to the cattle pen and picked out a nice plump calf and gave it to the servant, who lost no time in getting it ready. Then he got curds and milk, brought them with the calf that had been roasted, set the meal before the men, and stood there under the tree while they ate. The men said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? In the tent, he said. One of them said, I'm coming back about this time next year. When I arrive, your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent opening just behind the man. Abraham and Sarah were, told, were old by this time, very old, and Sarah was far past the age of having babies. Sarah laughed within herself. An old woman, like me, get pregnant with this old man of a husband? God said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, me have a baby? An old woman like me? Is anything too hard for God? Or your translation will read, Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Is anything too hard for God? I'll be back about this time next year and Sarah will have a baby. Sarah lied. She said, I didn't laugh because she was afraid. But he said, Yes, you did. You laughed. This is the word of the Lord. 
I want to offer a little different take on this well-known story, so please bear with me. At first glance, this story actually starts out like a Mother's Day story, not Father's Day. Abraham's running around working like a dog, trying to get everything done for this massive cookout while Sarah's in her bedroom chilling out. But when you know the backstory, this is all about, well, at least as he thinks it is, it is all about Abraham. He's running around trying to get this big deal done because mainly he's trying to super impress these three strangers who just showed up at his door. He's living into the virtue of hospitality, which was so important in his day. And he is going to do it better than anybody. Sarah, in the meantime, is in the tent. Passive, aggressive, hiding. While her big old husband once again makes of himself a big old narcissistic fool trying to look all big and important. By this point in her life, Sarah could care less. She was way past Abraham and his own narcissistic ego needs, and she was way past any supposed conversations that God had had with Abraham who kept promising them children, even though they were pushing a hundred. At first, she thought that Abraham was a little off his rocker when he came home 20-some years before to announce that God had spoken to him, saying, I will make of you a great nation, which means you'll have children, even though you're close to 80, and I will make of you a blessing to all people. And from that, Abraham, just like a man, says, we're moving, we're heading out, because I have a new job responsibility, and so here we go. Which was in those days unheard of, because really they were just herders or farmers generationally supporting the family, one after another. One never moved apart from the family. But Abraham will because he has been called by the voice of God. Sarah has no choice but to go along. And all this talk about being a father to all nations, they were both way past the biological and relational possibility of having a child and this talk only made Sarah feel worse. Not only did she think Abraham was slightly demented, she felt again the hurt of never having any children. And every time it was brought up she would feel it once again. She heard all the whispers in town by all the people who felt sorry for her For it was thought that if you were infertile and had no children back then, then you must surely be cursed by God or you are being judged by God for some reason and infertility is the result. Unfortunately, some residue of this is still apparent today. Parents who can't have children feel often like they are not a part of God's blessings 
But please remember that St. Paul said, don't get married unless you have to, for that just ends up being a distraction. And Jesus wasn't married either. There's nothing virtuous about having children, and there's nothing virtuous or unvirtuous about not having them. Abraham and Sarah, it turns out, were much like the uncle and aunt who were always invited to the family gatherings. They usually had dumb and stupid jokes to offer, but always brought wonderful gifts for the nieces and the nephews and always willing to babysit at any time. Everyone loved them and everyone felt a little bit sorry for them. But what's clear is that throughout this whole story, Sarah just goes along. She's passive, while Abraham, the man in charge, drives the boat, for that's the way it was back then. Men ruled. For instance, you ready for this? No sooner do they head out from the parents' house than they run into a drought and have to backtrack into Egypt Now, even though Sarah was old, she was still a looker, apparently, and so Abraham got paranoid and worked out this scheme with her. She said, I'm afraid if people see you and they think you're my wife, they're going to kill me and take you for themselves. So from now on, I want you to tell people you're my sister. So he pawns her off as his sister as they enter Egypt, And Pharaoh meets them, knowing or thinking she's Abraham's sister. He takes her for his concubine. While Abraham, in the meantime, after treating her like a commodity, seems to do well in all commodity markets and makes a killing raising sheep and cattle. He's making a name for himself, and we know the name that Sarah is being made of. Turns out this little plan is a disaster as far as God is concerned. And so, duh, he sends an illness for all of Pharaoh's people. And by the time Pharaoh finally figures out that he is being punished for this reason, I guess a prophet told him, he hands Sarah back to Abraham and tells them to catch the first train out of town. Even still, God is keeping this conversation with Abraham going year after year, promising him he will be a father to all nations. When Sarah couldn't stand it anymore, she finally handed over her servant Hagar to Abraham and said, take her and let her become the surrogate mother for the child. And when Hagar found out she was pregnant, she started shaming Sarah day after day. Ha, ha, ha. I'm pregnant, and you're not. I'm carrying Abraham's baby, not you. When Sarah complained to Abraham about this, he turned his back on her and said, You handle it. And she did by exiling Hagar into the wilderness. 
By the way, we have this really interesting Hagar window over to my right. You should look at it after church. An angel comes to Hagar in the wilderness and brings her to a well where she does not die and then sends her back to Abraham, now a little more chastened, but still she's got the child. When Abraham and Hagar decided to name the child, God told them to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. Then at 99, God's still at it. He comes to Abraham again with the same covenant saying, I am the Lord Almighty, walk before me and be blameless for I will make my covenant between me and you and will make your children as of the stars of the sky. By now, Abraham was even starting to get a little cynical. He's heard this promise now four times, and so all he can do is fall on his face and laugh, which probably wasn't the best thing to do in front of the Lord God Almighty, especially when he is talking to you. So just to make sure that Abraham and all his people understand that God is not mocked, he orders the men, Abraham, to start to get circumcised. Shows you about laughing in front of me. Every now and every man shall shed blood, among other things they must shed to understand how serious the covenant of God really is. Ouch. And now we come to today's story. Immediately after that circumcision text, and as you would expect, Abraham isn't feeling too good. He's lying down in the heat of the day under a tree, trying to get over his recent surgical event while Sarah is in the tent brooding, playing solitaire, wondering what comes next. What comes next are three strangers. Abraham looks up from his slumber and sees three strangers standing near. And he does what any strong, masculine, mano-a-mano man would do, even though they have been wounded. He jumps up and runs to them to show that, of course, he is a big man and never suffers any pain. He runs to them. And he tells them, welcome into my camp. I will wash your feet and I will kill the fatted calf and I will bring all of the food and serve you as my guests. And just like every other man, he runs out and tells his servants to kill the fatted calf and to bring it to the table. And he runs in and tells Sarah to make three cakes so that they can have something to eat. I to you passed pretty quickly. After dinner, Sarah, still in the tent, where women belong. The three strangers, having feasted, look at Abraham and speak, reminding him that this is not all about you. Which, of course, was a complete shock to Abraham, since it all was about him, as far as he could tell. And they ask him, where is Sarah, 
your wife in the tent, he mutters. So turning in the direction of the tent, the angels now morph into one voice, supposedly the voice of God. And the voice says as loud as it can so that Sarah could hear it, I will return soon and your wife Sarah shall have a son. Fifth time. And this was the last straw. She was way over it. Her whole life full of promise and possibility facing the reality of lost expectations. Now this stranger is making fun of me too. He won't even call me out of the tent to address me face to face. So all she could do was cover her mouth and laugh quietly to herself, for there were no more tears left. All the hurt and all the broken promises, the vacuum that had never been filled, being lorded over by Abraham and every other man, all she had been through because she, a woman, really had no choice It all rose up in her, and she covered her mouth and began to laugh. It was cynical laughter, to be sure. It was laughter at the absurdity of it. It was laughter at the thought of these two sad old geezers becoming parents and hitching their wagon to a fleeting star. Of course, she laughed. It was the only thing left she had any power to do in that patriarchal, maniacal world of men. But of course, the laugh was on her. Apparently, she couldn't muffle her laugh enough, for the man who was standing there said, why did Sarah laugh? looking at Abraham, but really addressing her, saying, I am too old to bear a child. Why'd she laugh? Is there anything too hard for God? Did he say the Lord? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is this the Lord speaking? And then he gives the promise one more time. At the right time, I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. Scared to death, Sarah spoke up for herself, I think for the first time in the whole narrative. Being always controlled by men, all she knew to to, to say was a lie for fear of the punishment. I didn't laugh. And the Lord, now speaking to Sarah, I think, directly for the first time, yes, you did. Laugh out loud. Yes, you did. And the laugh is on you. And I think the Lord must have said it to her in a sort of loving, kind, whimsical kind of way not to condemn her 
but to celebrate with her, even in the midst of her own doubt and cynicism, to celebrate out of the pain of her own laughter that one day she will not face that kind of laughter, but the kind of laughter of new creation and new birth and new opportunity. Yes, you did. You laughed. LOL. So why did I tell this story this way? There's been a lot of talk recently about the role of women in our culture and how hard it is to be a woman, a mother, a wife, a single person. And I wanted us to see how patriarchal and misogynistic the culture was back then especially and how hard it was for Sarah who was held responsible because you see she was the infertile one. Remember, Hagar got pregnant. She was responsible, yet she had no power. She always had to play the passive part because that's the only choice she was given. She was brought up to be a dutiful child, a perfect, lovely wife, and an amazing mother if she ever had children. And as hard as us for it is it is for us to admit that, it's even still that way today, although thank God less. Especially in third world countries like Mississippi and South Carolina and Oklahoma. You know what I mean. Just kidding. And how like Abraham, how like us we men girded with our own deep seated ego needs and narcissism tend to think that it's really about us as we strut around trying to mask the fact that our manhood has been injured and we don't want anybody to know it. That we are large and in charge and that we want all these people working with us to sing our praises while trying to force our women behind the tent as subjects or worse, objects of our need. Father Abraham, the father held up as the example of all of us of what faith and obedience and good fathering look like is just like us which is, of course, the good news. He wasn't a great dad, by the way. I think it's next week or the week after when he takes Isaac up the mountain and almost slits his throat as a social services needed to get in on that one. But mostly I want us to be surprised and to have our expectations blown out of the out of the saddle about the way that God works, for God keeps coming and happening to us when we least expect it. And just as he brought new life and blessing into the world through the womb of this 95-year-old woman and a 12-year-old virgin, just as he kept working with Abraham and Sarah for after all, what else does he have to work with? The great unexpected truth is that God works with what he's got, us. 
whether we're too old or too young, whether we're as full of doubt as we are of faith, whether we are in cultures of racism or bigotry or sexism or indifference or cynicism, us, us, even us. And you can laugh at that if you want, but the joke's on us. And the laughter comes when we can actually claim this calling by God to give new life to this cynical, polarized, broken world of ours and to do things completely unexpected like love our neighbor that we do not agree with, to be people of reconciliation and kindness and love, to help foster together a new community of not like-minded people don't laugh. It's possible. What's not possible or too wonderful for God? 